Hey everybody, and welcome to Views on View. I'm Ben Hong, Senior Frontend Engineer on the Meltano team at GitLab. And today on our panel, we have Ari Clark, Senior UI UX Engineer at Liquid and Real-Time View Extraordinaire. Hello. <laughs> and today our guest is Elizabeth Fine. Elizabeth, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, yeah, I'm Elizabeth, and I'm a front-end developer at REI. Awesome. Hey folks, I just want to let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However, the real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with a back end. I can just set things up. I build the website out. I've been using a system called 11DJS and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you want to pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you want to collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend and it'll do some of the work for you. I just, I just love it. So if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the back end without having to actually program the back end, then give them a try. Go check them out at Netlify.com. So I guess to get started, like, um, so Elizabeth, how did you like get into coding? And like, I guess let's, let's start with there. Yeah. Um, so I started off in like marketing kind of copywriting type stuff. And while I was doing that, I worked with a lot of developers and I kind of thought to myself, I like what they're doing a lot. It seems like a better fit for me professionally. So I started just teaching myself how to code. And about a year later, I got my first dev job at a digital agency in Melbourne, Australia. Um, and I did that for a little bit. And now I'm back in Seattle and I'm a front end developer here. Wow, Melbourne. So like, were you living in Melbourne at the time or is this like a remote position? Yeah, I was living there. You know, I just, I was over there and just started applying for developer jobs because at that point I felt like I was, I was ready to, to start being a developer professionally. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it's cool. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. Yeah, it's definitely on my list of places to visit. <laughs> yeah. So you got into like the, taught yourself HTML, CSS, JavaScript. And so when did you start to move into like the framework territory? So when at my first job um, as a developer, we were doing kind of jQuery stuff and working a little bit with Knockout JS, which I didn't touch too much, but I, I saw it from the outside. <laughs> and I'd say, I don't know, probably about six months in, we started looking at React to possibly start using React within our projects. And then we eventually settled on Vue. And so Vue is the first framework that I've used professionally and kind of the only framework that I've used professionally. The only time I've ever touched React is just for, you know, personal kind of exploration. Wow. So what do you know, like, what were some of the reasons why your team chose you at the time? Because obviously React is pretty big as well at the time. The reason that we decided to start using Vue is it's really um, easy to learn Vue. So it's a really shallow learning curve for, for all of us. And the documentation was really great. So we felt confident, you know, just jumping right in. And also um, we felt that it was kind of on the up. So Vue is becoming more and more popular and it would be sustainable for the long term to start learning Vue and writing in Vue. Yes, I guess Vue was kind of the hipster framework to choose, actually. Yeah, yeah. It, before it was cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now Vue is pretty, it's pretty popular. I mean, when we were at ViewConf, there were, it was huge. So yeah. many people there and a lot of big companies using Vue nowadays. 
Yeah, um, I don't know. Did you all see the tweet from Rahul where they he dug into Apple's Swift UI? Yes, like, that was so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was when you have a moment on Twitter, um, I can send it to you later. But yeah, there's a yeah. tweet to show that like Apple actually is playing around with View. Obviously, not like for everything, but there's like a specific site they released recently. Oh, that's so interesting. It was cool. View underneath. <laughs> so pretty good stuff. Well. I mean, speaking of companies using Vue, so REI is using Vue? Yeah, so REI is using Vue now. And um, so obviously we have kind of different front-end stacks for different pieces of the website. And right now we've got kind of a, we've got like a monolithic um, sort of front-end. Uh, and then like a, we have a monolithic legacy platform, I guess you'd call it. And then a bunch of different microsites that use various front-end frameworks. And the goal is to basically move those towards Vue so we can have consistent framework across each microsite. And then it's really easy for developers to jump in from one to the other. Um, you know, if you need to jump in, if there's a problem or if you need to move teams, it's all on the same tech stack. So you don't have to relearn anything. So when you when you joined REI, were they already using Vue or did they start transitioning while you were while you joined. Yeah, so um, REI was already using Vue when I joined, which is one of the things that appealed to me about working here because I was already using Vue too, but we're still in the progress of moving everything towards Vue. Gotcha. Yeah, and so um, one other appealing thing about basically migrating all of our front-end frameworks to the same front-end stack is that we can use our reusable component library across all of them, and that really superpowers the developers to build things really fast and also really consistently across the frameworks. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about your component library? Basically, there's a team here called Cedar, which has built a really amazing front-end um, UI component library that kind of provides common scaffolding UI elements that you can build together uh, to create front-end experiences. And it's all open source, so you can go um, and check it out online. If you just Googled it, you'd be able to find it on GitHub and see what all of the components are made of. And that's cedar, like the, the tree, right? C-E-D-A-R? Right. Okay. right, yeah, C-E-D-A-R. And so <laughs> it's really good because it helps solve kind of common patterns and UI patterns and design decisions. And so the way it works is that designers have a sort of cedar toolkit in you know, Sketch that they can use to compose designs with, and that speeds up their work. And then when they hand it off to developers, they're able to take those designs and grab the corresponding Cedar components and basically build the page like building blocks is kind of the idea. That is awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely make sure to drop a link in the show notes for people who are interested in checking that out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think part of the idea that would incentivize teams to use Cedar is that a lot of the maintenance or kind of tech debt is sort of built in. So if you use Cedar, then the Cedar team will push out updates to those components and all you have to do is update your version and then you don't have to do it kind of lifts a whole lot of maintenance out of your team's workload yeah that's awesome yeah and so for documenting your component library what are you all using uh we have a website and so basically every component has its own documentation the documentation is really really good so we've got kind of code examples we have a full api for developers you can see which props those components accept and kind of what that will output for you. And then there's also a section for developer for designers. So they know how these components are meant to be used because, you know, there's guidelines for 
where you're supposed to use certain things and just keep things consistent across the different teams. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm going through the site right now and mm-hmm. I'm trying to see. So did you all build this from scratch or is this using like, um, it looks like, yeah, is this like a homegrown like documentation site? I don't know. I think <laughs> it's okay. off of ViewPress or something like that. Okay. Remember correctly? I'm not on that team, so I don't know the exact details of the website, but yeah, no, it's just it's really cool because um, you know, you know, as I'm going through here, I'm seeing like there's a lot of code examples, which is great. So it's like automatically previewing what you know the different components are doing. Um, you can see the code linked directly to the GitHub. So I mean, it's really really well done. One of the cool things about um, Cedar, I think, is the grid. So we've got basically a view component that's a grid row, and then inside you put your grid columns. And it really simplifies things for the developer because we don't have to use bringing any like grid frameworks or build our own. All of it is sort of viewified and breakpoints are built in. So you can pass in props that will change the breakpoints of the grid based on or change the display of the grid based on the breakpoints that you you know, you pass in kind of bootstrap style. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. And also we've got a, a lot of the accessibility features built in as well. So that again, removes that from the developer's, you know, thought uh, load as we're working. So I really like that in addition to the use when, there is a don't use when section. That's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's good to know. I mean, as a developer, I don't need to, go into too much of the use when and don't use when because I usually receive mock-ups that tell me, you know, basically which components to use. But it's definitely useful, especially for things like buttons or links when as a developer, you might not be too sure, you know, which one is best for accessibility um, based on the type of functionality you're wanting to get out of it. So it's good for that and also really good for onboarding. So when new people Mm -hmm. start here, show them this website and they get a really great overview of the technology we're using, the design standards we have, the all of the expectations for, you know, when you should and shouldn't use certain things. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. It's, it's amazing the work that the team has put into it. They're really great. And then, so as front-end developers, if we have, if we find ourselves making a reusable component and it's being used maybe more than a few times, we can then turn it over to the Cedar team and they can go ahead and cedarize that component for us. And then it passes that off onto them. And more teams can go ahead and use those, use that for their different needs. How much feedback do you guys give internally to the Cedar team? Like if you guys are finding that maybe a component's API is a little confusing or it's not quite doing what you need to do, do you guys get to work with the Cedar team to address those issues? Yeah, they're they're really receptive to that sort of stuff. So um, we can create PRs or, you know, meet with them. And they're really flexible and try to make things work for all the different teams. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And just so um, for our listeners, so I think most people familiar with REI uh, imagine like REI.com, but are there more projects beyond like the main, you know, e-commerce site? Sort of like what are the different things that encompass, you know, the REI web dev team beyond like the the main page that most people probably visit? So there's the main page, which is sort of the monolithic platform. And we've been moving towards microsite architecture. So basically breaking that out into different offerings that, so if you go to the top of the the top nav on the, the website and you can click on those different offerings, a lot of those are broken out into their own microsites. And I think there's an article on our engineering blog about that process where you can read into a lot of the different details of 
of how that uh, sort of monolith to microsite microservice architecture has gone down. I can give that to you too, if you want to put that in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure people would love to check that out. Mm -hmm. You mentioned like, how do you work with designers as far as incorporating Cedar? So Cedar provides a UI toolkit for designers and they basically um, build or try as best as they can to build those components into their designs. And then when we receive the designs, we know or we can look go onto the documentation site and look up which components are we're meant to use. Then, you know, if a design doesn't quite match the capabilities of the component, we can then go back to the designer and explain to them, hey, we want to be compliant with Cedar here. So can we change this or that so that we can use the component? It'll save us a whole bunch of extra dev time if we can just, you know, import and drop that component into the page rather than building something out from scratch or fighting against the functionality that's already built into the Cedar component to change it a little bit here or there. I have to say that uh, that sounds really awesome. I wish I had a design system to work with <laughs> where I work. <laughs> I don't even have a designer. I just make everything up as I go. So I'm super jealous. <laughs> hey, you know, you get super, super good at, you know, being a front end by doing that kind of stuff. I mean, <laughs> you're constantly sharpening your, your skills, probably run into a lot of different problems that you worked through in unique ways so <laughs> uh yeah unique is a good way to put it <laughs> <laughs> i'm actually curious though um i think there's a lot of opinions out there on tooling be- like to maintain communication between developers and designers um at aria do you have like a tool of choice like whether it's um you know envision or oh gosh what was the one i really a zeppelin um i don't know how yeah. artifacts are passed back and forth um i don't know if i have too much of an interesting answer for you on this one <laughs> <laughs> Um, we sit near the designer's lab, so there's a lot of kind of face-to-face communication that happens. You know, I think that might be the best answer, actually. I think yeah. a lot of people have said that if you can just put your developers and designers in the same, like, area, that's yeah. much better than any tool. That And that's that's just for my team. Other teams might not be quite like that, but um, sure. I really like working like that because then our designer is able to explain to us why we're doing things a certain way or what is the overarching goal of this page or this piece of you know, user interface. So as a developer, I like to know that. I feel like that gives me good context. So I don't miss edge cases that might occur, things like that. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can go to your designer and, you know, show her or him what you've done and they can say, oh, can you change this a little bit? And you can go back and change it and you can show it to them again. And then, you know, you get to work together and they get to see what you're working on in real time. And it ends up being something that you know, they're really happy with generally. So it's a good workflow for us. Yeah, that sounds like a really good collaborative experience. I'm a huge fan of that sort of thing, personally. Yeah, yeah. Do either of you work remote at all? Or or did you say, Ben, that you're 100% remote? Yeah, so, uh, yep, I'm working at GitLab. I'm 100% remote, so that will never happen for me. I guess, the I think the best thing, the next best thing we have is you could always hop on, like, a video chat and just leave mm-hmm. it on, like, the whole day. I think... Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes we do stuff like that, but on my team, we don't have a dedicated designer at the moment. So um, I think whenever that does happen, I think we may, you know, to your point, like maybe open up some of those channels so it's a little bit easier to just talk things through, share your screen and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So are you the designer then if there's no dedicated Uh, (laughs) designer? (laughs) I'm right there with you, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah. 
So yeah, we're just trying to figure, I think Meltano is mostly uh, like a, at this moment, like we're sort of figuring out the coding framework beneath it. So yeah. it's like a data, data tool. So I think the design stuff is, is coming soon. I think we really will need to hire someone dedicated, but for now, yeah, I'm, I'm playing a designer on TV. So <laughs> do you like working remote? <laughs> yeah, it's been good so far. Um, yeah, I'm a person yeah. that really loves like people and the energy, which is probably not surprising given my activities at ViewConf. But yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so I, you know, I usually supplement that with uh, traveling a fair amount, um, going to meetups, and then you know, so I help to host like the View DC meetup here, and so oh, that's yeah. usually that's how right. I get my in-person interactions and just try to you know get out there. But you're so good at ViewConf. I loved your jokes. I came back here and I did a. Um, presentation that our, our we have a beers with engineers event every mm-hmm. few months or so and I did a presentation on kind of what we learned at ViewConf and I told some of your jokes and everyone, <laughs> 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 really funny. I'm trying to remember what my favorite one was it was something about uh, why did the front-end developer walk out of the restaurant do you remember oh gosh I'm trying to remember. I, this was ringing a... they didn't like the table layout Oh, <laughs> and then my other favorite one was how do you make a component happy you give yeah. it lots of props, props. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I did, I, did give, I did give um you credit by the way on those ones <laughs> no I, I don't think i, I don't think I, I didn't write the props one i wrote a different one about like i think components and states or something but yeah, uh, I'm glad you oh, I remember. I vaguely remember the components and state one. I remember that was pretty funny, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> something like, why is a component lost or something? Oh, yeah. I didn't know which state it was in. Yeah. <laughs> I probably told that one, too. Yeah, I was like, I was thinking about just saying, yeah, sure, these are my jokes. But then I was like, no, I'm going to say, I got them from ViewConf. ViewConf was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah. I mean, speaking of communities and organizing, um, I know that you helped to organize a Seattle CSS meetup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I could talk about this forever. Yeah. Let's <laughs> talk to us about, like, you know, your experience, or, you know, being a community leader. Well, okay. So when I was in Melbourne, I went to this meetup, which was Melbourne CSS, every month. And I really, really loved that meetup I because I'm pretty passionate about CSS. I'm, like, really visual type of developer. And when I came to Seattle, I was thinking, I can't find Seattle CSS. Where is it? You know, like, doesn't every big city have a, whatever that city's name (laughs) is, CSS? And so I was like, okay, well, I, first of all, want to continue going to a group like that. Secondly, I don't really like leadership roles or positions or things like that. So those are two good reasons to actually step in and make that community happen. Because I, I don't know, I want to push myself to do things I'm not super comfortable doing, like running a meetup group or whatever. And also I want to continue that community. So I started a meetup on meetup.com and we've been going for about four months now. I think this will be our fifth meetup coming up soon. It's been really good. I was really surprised on the first meetup when people actually showed up. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody to show up and we had like 14 people. Wow. That's that's actually really good. That's great. For the first meetup. So I was like, wow, people (laughs) must actually be interested in a CSS community group. I mean, we have so many developers in the city. Seattle is such a big tech city that Mm -hmm. um, of course there are going to be people that are interested in CSS and want to come around. Yeah. Yeah. a bunch of regulars I'd say that come and uh, we've had some good events and I've learned a lot from kind of running this group and I'm excited to see where it goes in the future. 
That's amazing. So did you speak at the first one? Like, how are you, yeah. how are you finding what's, okay, so you spoke at the first one. That's well, what I did for VDC too. <laughs> were, you, were you nervous or had you done a lot of speaking? Uh, no, I think, um, yeah, so that was the first time I think I was doing speaking because I think I was planning on recording it and using that mm -hmm. to submit to other conferences. Like, and that mm -hmm. was one of, I tell people, like, if you're looking to get into conference speaking, like, try speaking at a meetup first and use that as a way to gain experience. And then it gives conference organizers like the confidence that you know what you're doing or you have experienced before. That's a really good tip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I spoke to my friends, but anyways, um, so I mean, how, how, how has it been for you as far as sourcing speakers or finding content to do? Um, Cause obviously it looks like you have a regular cadence right now with your meetups. Yeah. Which I think is important. Starting the new meetup is to just make sure that you do it every month or however, whatever your cadence is, because yeah. if you start, backing out because you don't have content or whatever then mm -hmm. it's just not going to stick that's mm -hmm. just kind of my general general intuition on it yeah, but um I so i feel like I, I have to come up with something every time for us to do and we've done a variety of things and the best thing i think that we do is our lean coffee discussions because basically that requires no preparation from very little preparation from me and it's all done in the meetup group so if, if People don't know what lean coffee is. The idea is that everyone in the beginning kind of puts topics they want to talk about on sticky notes and we put them all on a board and then we go through and we have a certain number of votes, like three votes that we can put on each sticky. And so basically the really popular topics kind of rise to the top in terms of votes and the other ones stay at the bottom. And then we just go through based on which everyone's had the most votes and we give them this certain amount of time to talk about that topic. So anyways, it gives everybody a chance to talk about what they're interested in and um, talk about what applies to them, or it gives everybody a chance to at least put those topics out there. And then we end up talk discussing what the group is actually interested in, which is great because then people are engaged. And also what I do is I've been saving the whole list of topics because then yeah, <laughs> then you can go back and say, hey, does anyone want to speak? Here's a whole list of topics that are proven. That to is so today. smart. Yeah. And so I've saved all of those and we can either use them as future talks or use them as, you know, for a future lean coffee discussion. So I think that's really great. That's our, probably the, the easiest content filler that we have. <laughs> and then the second thing is just, um, I don't know, I like to encourage people to talk because yeah. a lot of people won't and they're afraid. And I remember when I just did my first little talk at the first Seattle CSS, I was so afraid and so nervous. And I kind of just wanted to show people when I was doing that, that you don't have to be extraordinary, you know, like, what's the word? <laughs> you don't have to have all this notoriety. You don't have to be um, this, you know, famous developer with all these unique ideas and be a super experienced speaker in order to say something at a meetup, people will come and listen to you talk about really basic stuff. Yeah, it's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm giving a talk today and I'm, I, yeah, I'm so not prepared, but oh, I'm gonna crush it. We'll see, we'll see. Are you talking at a meetup group or? Yeah, uh, at uh, Boulder JS. So oh, topic is real-time view. <laughs> real-time view, okay. Oh, you're going to be fine. You know, that's the other thing that I say to people to try and get them to talk is like, nobody's expecting you to be perfect. People are just appreciative that you're participating in the community. Oh. So <laughs> I don't know. Like, 
the organizer seems to like really have her stuff together. And so I'm like, oh my God, she must have super high expectations. Oh God, what have I done? <laughs> but oh, yeah. be fine. She has to have her stuff together because she's the organizer of the meetup group. She's probably really happy that you're helping her out. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think Elizabeth, you know, like anytime someone wants to speak, I'm like, whatever I can do to support you, like, yeah, speakers are always welcome. Like they are first rate citizens when it comes yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. It's like, please just say something. <laughs> I don't even care. You can go up there and talk about divs. There was a wait want. list to speak at this one. So I'm like, man, okay, this didn't use to be <laughs> I feel like maybe in the last couple of years, it got a lot bigger. Huh? Yeah. So what encouraged you to actually sign up and do that? Uh, I don't know. It's something that I'm passionate. Yeah, no, like, honestly, this is, uh, this is a discussion I had with my husband recently. I'm like, why am I doing all this stuff? Like I just recently became a panelist, um, on views on view here. And for some reason decided that I wanted to give a talk at a meetup and I'm like, what, why, why am I doing this? And I, I honestly, I, cause you're awesome. Yeah. Cause you're awesome. Sure, yeah. We'll go with that. I don't know. I, I like sharing my enthusiasm for things, I guess. And so hopefully that will come across in my talk tonight uh, when, you know, granted, uh, as of this moment, most of my slides don't have speaker notes yet. So that should be fun. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you come up with a topic for this talk? Oh, uh, it is literally what I do all day. So I okay. figured I'm pretty well qualified to speak about it. <laughs> that's a good, yeah, that's a good reason. <laughs> yeah. That was sort of, I was like, well, I guess this is sort of a niche area of you. Like, I think most people are in a slightly slower paced updating paradigm than I am. So I thought, uh -huh. hey, if somebody wants to learn some of the tools that you would use within Vue, then I, I know stuff about things. <laughs> <laughs> that should be your opening line. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I'm totally used up, up about things. So actually, I'm curious, what is real-time view? So give me some, some preparation. Yeah. So uh, it's basically just using WebSockets to push data to view from your backend, though you don't have to use WebSockets. There's plenty of different technologies you could use, like server oh, okay. events is another good alternative. But I mean, really, that it doesn't matter what you're using, just as long as you're using something that's going to get that information to the UI in real time. And then obviously, Vue's reactivity system makes it pretty easy from there. So it almost feels like cheating, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> that actually sounds really interesting. I wish I could see your talk. Maybe it'll be recorded. Uh, it will be. And I guess apparently I'm also giving the same talk at uh, Connect Tech. In yeah, that's right. Oh, boy. That's so exciting. So, yeah, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great. Oh, yeah. Eventually. Eventually, it'll be great. I don't know if tonight will be great, but eventually it will be. <laughs> well, that's I you, Ari. You got this. I'm curious, uh, Elizabeth, have you thought about doing like code lab sessions? As like So, like, imagine like bring your design, like bring like a cool design you found and then we're going to like try to build it together, right? And then like, just like... Um, no, but that sounds really cool. I feel like we should do something like that. <laughs> so you bring a design and it's kind of like... So another meetup I go to here in Seattle is sort of, it's called JavaScript Code Katas. I don't know exactly how to pronounce that word, but it's basically they put up a JavaScript challenge on the board, on the projector, and you everyone in the room has to 
come up with a solution to that challenge, then we all share a challenge. So it's kind of like that, but for CSS. Yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking off the top of my head. Yeah. Just because to your point, sometimes you do like speak, there aren't any speakers queued up, or um, you know, and so sometimes I find that it's good to give people some hands-on as well, just to re-engage. Um, yeah, that's a great idea. I'll, we'll have to remember that. And I remember you told me something a while back about how at your meetups you have sort of a an area where people who are new to the technology can learn from others. Is that yeah, we have. Um, so that's something we've been trying to implement. It's been a little bit harder to get that really up and running. But I think what we've been doing instead is like maybe like every other month having a Vue.js 101, just to really give people that chance to get get into the door without like, because again, I see, I've seen too many meetups. Just once they start, you know, they start with the intro stuff and then they just veer off into like this super like niche topics. Mm-hmm. And it just makes people who are new who are like, I just, I have no idea what's going on. So things like code labs, um, just 101s, 102s, like those just help to re-engage everyone on some more fundamental level. So that's what I found is a good like um, way to break up the pace. So you have uh, beginners come into your group and then do you just kind of enlist the more experienced members of your group to teach those people things and help them through I- it or? Yeah, as of right now, mostly that's on me at the moment because I've taught mm-hmm. some intro workshops already, but I have had people come to me saying they're interested in gaining more teaching experience. So it's great just like seeing that. So like I'll basically passing on workshop materials to them and they'll be running their own like workshops just so you can just get that practice. I know more people who are interested in getting into that, you know, especially in like the conference circuit. Um, you know, it's like it takes a lot to build up to that. So, you know, like meetups are a great way to like host these mini workshops where maybe five, 10 people show up and you can learn what it's like to have students asking you questions typical pitfalls that instructors run into, those sort of things. Yeah, cool. But yeah, I could imagine like a whole, like like a session on like doing grid flex blocks. Like there's a whole, like yeah. there's so much to dive into with that kind of stuff. Um, I'm willing yeah. to admit I am terrible at CSS. And if there were meetup around here like that, I would totally go. Because <laughs> I can <laughs> Like I'm trying to learn, but yeah, when I'm the only front-end developer, it makes, it makes it hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's interesting at our last meetup, we were talking about how there are a lot of um, websites that help you sharpen your JavaScript skills, but not a lot that help you sharpen your CSS skills. Mm-hmm. So we came up with a list of websites. I think one of them is cssbattle.dev. I don't know if you guys have heard that. but I'm gonna have to What? It's interesting. They give you a sort of visual challenge, and the idea is to recreate it in as few characters as possible. Some of the people on there are thinking, how did you do that in 64 characters? That's crazy. <laughs> you end up having to, I think, kind of throw your CSS best practices out the window a little bit to save characters. Um, yeah. Are, are people allowed to cheat with SVG? Because I feel like that would be a cheating. You probably can, yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, I think um, one conference there was a, a competition to see who could build like the logo, rebuild the logo in HTML CSS, and yeah, someone like knew that. the measurements of like the SVG and just wrote out the SVG and like it was like <laughs> they got it done so quickly. <laughs> Come on, it's <laughs> a good idea though. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing the entries from that. It was the view logo. Yeah, right. And that was the competition. People had like five minutes to do it. I have to say, Dan Abramon's attempt was. Valiant, but also hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought to myself, I'm like, nope, I would have gotten maybe a line in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. CSS shapes are fun. That reminds me of that portrait that somebody did of Evan Yu at ViewCon. Yes. It was like oh, the yeah. Obama style <laughs> portrait. 
<laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, the art theme was pretty great. Um, I yeah. think I love I love the one with like the balloon that like floated. The one, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that was the one that won. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was. <laughs> that was a great one. My mind was just totally blown because, like I said, I'm not good at CSS. So I was like, wow, I wish uh, my skills were on that level. Maybe someday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I've heard about Vue abandoning their RFC for a class-based API and instead adopting this function-based component API that they're calling composition functions now. Mm-hmm. So I was reading through um, the basically all the GitHub comments, and also I went on Evanu's Twitter and read through the comments on Twitter on there. Um, nice. And yeah, I noticed it was pretty controversial. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are pretty upset about it and say it makes Vue kind of a copy of React. And I'm curious what you guys think about that. It, like the whole setup function that you start off with looks pretty similar to, you know, the way Vue currently works right now. Mm-hmm. But it does seem a little harder to read, I guess. Yeah, so I will also preface this. I am not an expert in this. I've also, some of Elizabeth just kind of read through the thread. So Elizabeth, feel free to confirm or deny the same thing already. So based on what I know, so... As everyone knows, like currently view, you have like an object that you pass as an mm-hmm. object view and you define like data, whatever. So the reason why this is going to be different is because instead of the options object, there's going to be a setup property within your view. And then within setup, you can declare all these things that end up replicating those functions. But they, it does look quite different if you're used to the options. Yeah, they can be sad. I love the options object. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What I, I'm not clear on is if this is, I think it's replacing that. I'm not sure if it's Yeah, I, I think I read that they're keeping the options object up until like one version of compatibility, but beyond okay. that, they're going to deprecate it. So again, like by the time this episode gets released, who knows might have changed. So for the listeners <laughs> out there, we're yeah, obviously, yeah. we're speculating right now because again, it's, it's really in the RFC process. And at one point we were sure we were getting class-based components. So really take this with a grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think it is rather different because I noticed that you also have to export your variables that you want to show up in your right. template. And yeah, I feel like that's kind of manual for what's already automatic with the options method. So maybe yeah. they're planning on like an IntelliSense where they know automatically, but it's definitely like, yeah, when I first looked at it, I was like, wow, there's a bit changing. Mm-hmm. I know that from the pros perspective, Basically, I know, I think class-based was giving them issues from a performance, if I'm not mistaken. And typing was an issue as well, because obviously, Vue is trying to have better support for TypeScript. And I think the whole core library is actually going to be written in TypeScript. But just to emphasize, like, it is not, that does not mean you need to use TypeScript in your, in your application just for the core team to more easily, like, maintain a bug-free library. Yeah, this uh, is but... Angular, people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I think the function base has, um, I, it was something ridiculous, like three or six times faster as a result of using this. And then um, it was also like, oh, I want to say, again, it, it's like better typing support and those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Those are the main two reasons that stood out to me. Granted, um, I, I mean, you saw it's a long post, so I'm probably missing some things. Yeah, well, I also, I thought that I read some stuff about how it makes makes it easier to share between components because oh, you're right. with mix-ins and then um, kind of higher order components that are wrapping smaller components. So it's this is supposed to help with that and get rid of namespacing issues and things like that. 
Yes, the mixins is a great point. So obviously right now, mixins is a great way we try, like people have tried to share functions between components, but it has caused a lot of side effects and we actually generally just don't recommend using mixins anymore. So I think this is also a way to just have a more like a sterile way of sharing methods in a way that's like scoped appropriately. And like, so you can basically, yeah, it allows you to share stuff more easily. But again, it's like, I know for me, until I get my hands on it, it's, it's still kind of hard to like, yeah. Like put into words. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts on this, Ari, as far as like what you've seen or heard so far? Yeah, no. So I only saw that apparently this was on the table for discussion like an hour before this podcast. So I had the page <laughs> open to start reading through the comments when my boss stopped by my desk. And apparently that's more important. Sorry. <laughs> totally. Yeah, this is definitely a very dense topic. And I think there's still a lot of discussion ongoing about it. One other thing that I read on that, I think it was on the GitHub thread, one of the core team members was saying it might make onboarding easier for new view users because they don't need to worry about the using this. In Didn't he just post something about that instead of using this though, we have to use context? Yeah, I, I know there's like a context thing that you can, that basically, I think that brings in the props. But. Yeah, so this is where I'm, I'm, I'm a little <laughs> nervous just because one of the ways I teach Vue is because I'm like, you have to know very little JavaScript to get started. Yeah. This setup me- method makes me feel like I have to teach JavaScript 101 before I teach Vue. And so it's making me a little nervous. But again, I mean, again, this is still in discussion. I know the core team's having a lot of talks about it. So um, these concerns will definitely be brought and we'll figure out like the best path forward. But yeah. I'll definitely be watching to see <laughs> how it how it evolves. Um, yeah, pretty big change, but you know, it seems like they're really confident in this change, and so. I know that Evan's priority is still to always make Vue very approachable. So in that yeah. regard, I don't think like it, you know we just that's definitely one thing I want to emphasize. So I'm sure we'll we'll land somewhere. Like it'll be interesting to see like in a few months when you know when all is said and yeah. done, what end up, ends up happening. There's a code example um, that one of the Vue core team members put out, uh, basically, I think it was Evan, actually, of a component using this new sort of syntax. And it's mm-hmm. not that different. You still have your props, your yeah. components, set up just basically, I think, contains like your watchers and your lifecycle hooks and stuff like right. that. And then after that, you have your render function, which then you can just, I guess, you expose all of those variables and right. then you can use them all in your render function in a template. So... Yeah, I think it takes a little getting used to, like, it takes a little while to get adjusted to it. But I think, mm-hmm. to your point, some of the examples have been actually cleaner because I'm sure some of you know, like, sometimes you have a watcher, but you have a computer on something, and you, like, even though you have all these different properties that are, like, watching the same thing or touching the same thing, mm-hmm. this might make it a bit cleaner from, like, a programming perspective. So, again, it's one of those things I think till we see it in action, it'll be hard to have a real, I don't know, I guess to give a fair analysis on it. Yeah, I feel like at the end of the day, you know, Evan's vision has got us this far. Yeah. I'm going to have faith that he's <laughs> going to continue to give us the amazing developer experience that we're used to. Yes. And yet the rest of the core team, you know, Sarah, Chris, and, you know, everyone on the docs team as well, like that's a big, that's really important yeah. to them as well to make sure it's easier to keep writing like top quality documentation for these kind of things. So. Yeah. I believe that they care about their developers. I really do. That was actually why one of the biggest reasons why I decided that Vue was the direction we would go in here at Liquid was because I was like, 
instead of being driven by another business's concerns, it was going to be driven by developer concerns. So I knew that would be in my best interest. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a good point. And yeah, you're right. They've they've built such a great developer experience. The documentation is so good. Vue is so easy to use. I'm sure that they, you know, I I trust that whatever they're doing is going to work for us. (laughs) (laughs) Work for me at least. Yeah, seconded. Yeah. Um, I said it first, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thirded. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so as far as getting started, um, yeah, my stuff um, is self-taught. I basically HTML, CSS, like book when I was like in middle school. Thought I needed to know Java to know JavaScript. So that was a total like failure on my part. <laughs> no one to correct me for like ten years. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so then it was like this crazy race to like try to get it like be a UX designer, but that that also failed through because I was like I'm not that great at visual design, and but I like front end and UX, so kind of put the two together, and then it was just like this sort of constantly hacking it together um, as far as like trying to catch up to the field. So I kind of envy the boot camp experience. What'd you say? I said I'm still doing that hacking. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Let me emphasize, I am still doing that too. (laughs) That has not ended. Sometimes I do envy the boot camp uh, way because I, again, I was working during the time I was trying to get into development. So it would have, I, I sometimes think how cool it would have been to have like a cohort, you know, like next to to study. And I know people say it's really long hours, but I think that in itself is sort of an experience in itself that it would have been fun to have. But yeah, that's, that's how I got into the coding realm. Do you want to go next, Ari? Sure. Since we were talking about boot camps, and I am the resident boot camper here. Yeah, everything you heard, Ben, is correct. The hours were extremely long. Especially because on top of uh, just trying to learn everything, I had a really long commute. (laughs) Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Yeah. Uh, Because actually, originally, I was supposed to go to a campus that was within walking distance of where Mm -hmm. I lived. And at the last minute, they decided to close that campus. But at that point, like all my hopes and dreams were already like contingent on this. Like I couldn't. I was like, no, got to do this no matter the cost. (laughs) So, yeah, I had uh, like an hour and 10 minute commute each way. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I basically oh, just sort man. of like, I would uh, I'd get there in the morning at, at like 9am and I wouldn't leave until like 8.30pm every night because I mean, at least that way I got to miss traffic. But I, as like awesome as it would be for, to be able to claim that I'm self-taught because I have so much respect for people who are, I also was willing to acknowledge that I am not self-disciplined enough <laughs> to have accomplished that. <laughs> At least that was like a reasonable time frame. I do way better with structure. And so, yeah, it was very expensive though. That is one thing I will say. I mean, that does vary, but I mean, I get, I guess it was still less than say like a CS degree. So <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, did, I really enjoyed my time at the boot camp. It was nice. Yeah. Being able to have experts to go to when I really just could not debug a problem. I even managed to come up with a couple of bugs that even my instructors had a really hard time pinning down. I was pretty proud of that. (laughs) Yeah. I just, for me, I needed structure. (laughs) Other people, I guess, are more motivated than I am. I definitely have a comment on that, but we'll, we'll, we'll go with Elizabeth next and we'll start diving into the various aspects. Yeah, so I didn't even think about, for some reason, I never even considered a boot camp. I don't think I'd really even heard of them. Not that they weren't around, but I just wasn't hanging around developers. So 
Yeah, I just, I used a lot of free code camp. That was my main thing. That really helped me because free code camp just takes you through so many different little um, tutorials. And a lot of them, they don't give you the answer. You have to really figure it out yourself. And then kind of at the end, they make you actually develop certain little projects. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really helpful. I felt like when it came to actually getting a job, because I was able to take those projects and show people what I did and they were able to see kind of actual examples, which I think in bootcamp, you, they make you do projects. And so you have those code examples, which is one major benefit of it. And they're also kind of, I'm sure that they give you feedback on them before you go and show them to people. So that was one thing I was missing. I look back on those and I think, oh my God. I should delete everything. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I look back at my uh, bootcamp projects. I'm like, wow. Yeah. No. Just no. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I did a lot of free code camp, a lot of just making my own stuff, built my own little portfolio website, and kind of just got the hang of it to the extent that I did. I still don't think I have the hang of it. Like you guys said, I'm still hacking things together. None of us. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the trend I notice among developers is everyone feels like they're still really in the thick of learning. It's probably a good thing. Oh, syndrome. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've got that. Uh, there was that great tweet recently that was like meta imposter syndrome, where the people you look up to have imposter syndrome, but you also have imposter syndrome. You're like, no wait, I'm the real one with imposter syndrome, so I'm. The real one. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, that's super funny. But to Ari's point, so I, I would say that, though, um, for those that, like, it's for the self-taught, I, I mean, certainly discipline, I guess you do need to persist through it. But I think the hardest thing about being, like, quote-unquote self-taught is that there's just so many highs and lows that you have to get through yourself. And I think a lot of people who thought maybe think that they can do it self-taught in the lows, like, maybe they don't have the right support system and end up dropping out. And so that's where I think, like, boot camps are really great because when the, the times you're struggling to have people there to, like, help pick you up, like... Um, I mean, I, I think I got lucky and some of us have, but I wouldn't, yeah, for, for anyone listening, like I wouldn't take it as like a point of like, I'm never doing a boot camp because I'm going to be self-taught. Like there's a point of like doing it on your own, but at the end, it's not really worth it if you're going to end up like, you know, crashing and burning because it can get really tough when you're, when you're on your own uh, without yeah, anyone even there. With the boot camp, I cried many times. I won't <laughs> lie. Many tear was shed in that classroom. <laughs> Some some on my way home, some on my way there. But yeah, lots of tears. And yeah, it it was nice having sort of a built-in support system. Not everyone will have that because let's face it, not everyone gets along with everyone. I was lucky. I actually was uh, a member of the largest cohort in galvanized history, and it will always be the largest. (laughs) Because <laughs> they made an exception uh, because they had closed the other campus, um, and ah. so ten of us, ten of us had to enroll in an already close to full cohort. But wow. you know, there's out of thirty one of us, thirty of us liked each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah. So I guess like you're not definitely going to have that, but chances are, if you're a decent human being or at least remotely likable you're all in it together. So you tend to stick together. Well, yeah. What about you, Elizabeth? Did you have like a support system kind of helping you through this as you were going through free code camp or anything? Not really. I worked around developers. So I kind of would poke them on the shoulder and be like, Hey, can you explain something to me? Or can you help someone <laughs> something, help me with something? But 
Mainly, and this is as I was travel transitioning countries too, to Australia. So I was kind of just on my own there for a little bit. But luckily, my first job, I, the front end developer I worked with was super awesome. He was a great mentor, like hands down, just an amazing mentor for me. So he took me from kind of down where I was and made me a whole lot more <laughs> competent uh, by the time I left. So I was really grateful for that. <laughs> and other developers there, they were all really great. Yeah. So it worked out, you know, first junior developer job taught me a lot kind of on the job. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And to anyone and I also new and... had the opposite experience in that. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. When I, my first job, I was on a team of two developers and the other developer, I wouldn't say was that much more experienced than I am. Oh, and actually that was two years ago today. Happy anniversary to me. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Um, but yeah, so like I was very much sort of thrown to the wolves, uh, figure things out on your own. But I think there's value in both. Like, do I wish that I could have had more mentorship? Yes. But do I think that there was also a lot of value in having to figure things out on my own? Yeah, that too. Man, I wonder what it's For like sure. when people have both. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, and for those, you know, sort of new to the coding realm uh, listening, I think, you know, the key thing I think from the three of us is definitely that finding that support system is important. And especially now with meetup groups being as big as they are, you know, if you have that fortune of being in a city with, you know, meetup groups, find those um, communities that can be there to support you and, you know, so you can ask questions too. And honestly, I know all of us, um, if you're ever out in our area, we're more than happy to t- chat with you and those sort of things. So I'll speak mainly for the front end community, but like I found that it's, mostly very warm and everyone just wants to help one another. I don't know. Maybe it's the nature of the fact that all our code is always on the browser anyway. So there's no secrecy. It's not like <laughs> we do can be hidden anyways. Just unminify like everything's there. So, super collaborative field. Yeah, I agree. I have been, I have felt so welcomed into the front end community, especially once I actually put myself out into the community because at first I was, you know, sort of like watching from afar, like just lurking on Twitter. <laughs> I started like actually engaging with people in the community. It has been such a wonderful experience. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts you want to tell anyone as far as like your thoughts on bootcamp or? Um, so one thing I, I noticed a lot of the people that I know who went through boot camps, it, they, it seems like they kind of a lot of times offer a placement at the end in an internship type thing, which is a, a huge benefit if your bootcamp actually does that, because if you're able to do a little internship after after you graduate, and a lot of companies will only offer internships to recent graduates of schools or boot camps, so that kind of puts you in a good position to go out in the world. Otherwise, it can be a little hard going out there and finding your first job. But I think if you are self-taught, the biggest tip that I would have for someone who's looking for their first dev job is to just build things build yourself a personal website that showcases what you can do. And there are a lot of articles out there that will kind of tell you how you can take, you know, a design that you might have and tweak it a little bit to make it look more professional. If say design isn't your, your, you know, strongest suit or whatever. So go and make yourself a personal website, make yourself some personal projects, and then use that to showcase what you can do to, to potential employers. That is great advice. And speaking of personal websites, Elizabeth, I was checking out your portfolio. So I'm going to be asked, this is the point where we ask where people can find you on the internet. I know that your portfolio is at find.net. How did you land that domain? <laughs> right, I was wondering that too. 
That's impressive. It runs in the family. And um, we also have find.com, actually. What? Oh, my gosh. What? (laughs) Yeah, I'm borrowing find.net for the time being for my little website. (laughs) (laughs) That is fantastic. Wow, yeah. Yeah, so your portfolio is at find.net. Um, can people find you on like any any other social media? Twitter is Elizabeth Fine Four, and I have a GitHub that doesn't really have much on it, so I probably won't even mention that. And um, okay, maybe I will. It's Elizabeth Fine Dev, and beyond that, I've got a code pen. I think there's a link to it on my website. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> All right. Okay, so Art, do you have any final questions for Elizabeth before we wrap on and move on to picks? No, I think I'm good. But I will say, this has been a really fun podcast. Thank you, Elizabeth. Yeah, I had so much fun too. Thank you both. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we love having you on. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. All right, so Ari, would you like to go first for picks? Sure, why not? So my first pick is a meal kit delivery service called Gobble. I had previously tried Sunbasket and it was just really complicated, the recipes. Okay, full disclosure, I never actually cooked any of them. My husband did, but whatever. (laughs) He would get really grumpy when he would cook them. So (laughs) that didn't work out well for me. And also I didn't necessarily love the palette, the flavor palette that they tended to push. So we kind of like abandoned that idea for a while, but then recently my husband was like, hey, I want to do one again. So I did some research and I found Gobble and all of their meal kits are super easy, take about 15 minutes. Allegedly, again, I never cooked any of it, but it was really yummy to eat and that's important. And my husband was not grumpy afterwards. So win-win. Everybody wins. My second pick is... Sleep Cycle app. I've actually been using this app for, I don't know, like four years now, but I am not a morning person, never have been, never will be, but (laughs) Sleep Cycle has made it a lot easier to get up because it actually detects in a half hour window when you're most likely to wake up easily. So when you're like at your lightest point of sleep. And so I have to say mornings are way easier now. Because, yeah, I'm already pretty close to being awake. So I'm just like, what? Oh, fine. I'll I'll get up. (laughs) (laughs) But it also, it will track your sleep health and all of that. And now it actually has a feature to tell you how much you've been snoring. So that's fun. I don't want to (laughs) know. That's it. That's great. All right. So Elizabeth, what picks do you have for us this week? Okay. So first one is Notion. 
it's a like kind of note-taking app that you showed me, Ben, um, <laughs> which is so cool. I cannot believe I've never found this before. It's like the note-taking app that I always wished existed, yes. never knew existed. It's crazy. You can do really amazing code blocks on there. It's the best code blocks in notes that I've ever seen. And you can change the different type of text you're using. So you can do like H3, H2, H1, a collapsible list item, a bullet list item really fast. So it's super, super great. I'm using that for everything now. I need to show you databases that will. Oh, like... Please. I'm taking your recommendations from now on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Second one is code drops. A lot of people probably know code drops, but it's my favorite newsletter that I get. So I always really look forward to it when I get a new code drops collective in my inbox. Just a lot of really cool front-end stuff, a lot of cutting-edge front-end stuff that you can check out, tutorials and things like that. And the last one is View Draggable. It's a library that I've been using for a little project I've been working on, which is a lean coffee board for my meetup group. Uh, so we don't have to keep using Post-it notes and we can have everything recorded. And so View Draggable lets you drag items around the page. So I'm using it to drag topics from different columns into their different statuses. And it's been really nice. That's awesome. Yeah, that's it. All right. So uh, my picks for this week are Always Be My Maybe on Netflix. That's my fun one. So if you know Randall Park from Fresh Off the Boat or Ali Wong, she did um, stand-up comedy, I think Baby Cobra on Netflix. So it's a really great uh, Asian-American sort of rom-com. And just uh, Keanu Reeves has a cameo in it. And he is phenomenal, by the way. So if you're <laughs> looking for a fun rom-com just to watch, uh, Always Be My Maybe. Definitely recommend it. And finally, I know a lot of us in the deaf community have a lot of imposter syndrome, as we talked a lot, a lot about, as well as like sort of like a, a fear of creating things and putting it out for people to see because we're afraid of being judged. Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote, uh, I think, Eat, Pray, Love, she has this talk um, on creative living beyond fear. And so there's a masterclass on Calm, the Calm app, which is like for meditation and stuff. But she basically talks to a lot of a lot of messaging for reminding us like, why it's important for us to build things for the world out there and that, you know, each of us have something unique to offer the world and to believe in that. And so it's a really inspirational talk that I recommend people listen to if that's something that you have issues with. Again, Calm, I think you get the pro trial free for the first week. So just get in there, listen to the masterclass. Um, highly recommended. So with that said, I think that's it for this episode of Views on View. Thank you for joining us. And until next week, Enjoy the view. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>